Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. We have an amazing guest today. I'm incredibly honored to have Wendy Weir here. She wrote the book, In the Spirit, which is about channeling Jerry Garcia and more. And we're going to talk to her. I'm super excited. We're going to talk to her in just a second. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That is bluecobracbd.com. And there you will find Blue Cobra CBD oil, the highest quality CBD oil on the planet. Period. Literally, period. And the reason that is, is that the extraction method, how the CBD is extracted from the hemp flower is a proprietary method. It was developed by a man named Howard Hitt, a.k.a. Big H, and it uses no chemicals, no solvents, and no gases. Nothing unnatural is used in the creation of this incredible product. The hemp that is used is 100% organic, Oregon-grown hemp. The product itself is 100% organic. Everything is incredible about this. And the hit extraction method, no other company has it. And out of all the CBD products I've tried in my life, and I've tried a considerable amount, probably as many as you see in the grocery store, just tons. There's so many out there, the drinks, everything. I've tried it all. And I've never experienced anything like the healing power of blue Cobra CBD. It's because of that method. It truly retains all the healing properties, the magical properties, the spiritual properties, everything that makes cannabis as a flower, whether it's CBD dominant or THC flower, so healing for humanity. We have cannabinoid receptors. It's been a part of our evolution for generations. It completely retains that spirit. And in this case, of course, he's using all CBD. There's no THC. And he has three different versions. King Cobra, maximum strength. Little King Cobra, regular strength. And Wild Thing CBD for pets, which actually is a huge seller for Howard. Because we want our beautiful pets, dogs, horses, cats, whatever we have. Our beloved animal companions. We want them to have the best possible medicine, food, all of those things, just like our children. We have a discount code, which gets you free shipping on any order. And that is big H B I G the letter H put that in the checkout discount code box and you'll get free shipping in the continental 48 on any order. Hawaii, Virgin Islands, I'm sorry, you have to pay, but I promise you it'll be worth it. It's worth its weight in gold. Literally, there's nothing else like this, and I take it constantly. Took some today, and it helps me be my best self, and again, it's unlike anything else out there. 
you can't find it anywhere else. It's small batch, family-owned company. Howard hits 76 years old. What he created with his proprietary method is incredible. And of course, there's a money-back guarantee. If you don't like the product, you get to keep the product, keep the money that you paid, you get the money back. And if you had to pay shipping, you get that back as well. There's nothing to lose here. Blue Cobra, CBD.com. That is Blue Cobra, CBD.com. And when you're done with that, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can go there. Follow us there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the podcast places. You can find us there. Click the button that connects us, that follow button, whatever that button says. Click that, and that connects us, and then you know exactly what's going on. When people like Wendy Weir come on the show, you get to know about it instantly. It goes right to your device or whatever you're listening on. And most importantly... Tell a friend, tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts. They're your friends. You know them well. You've known them all this time. You know what they like. You know they like this podcast. So please bring them here. Midnightonearth.com. All right. Well, we're about to get to Wendy Weir. We're going to talk to her about so many incredible things. But first, I need to read her bio. Wendy Weir is an intuitive channeler, author, and so much more. In 1999, she wrote the book In the Spirit, which detailed her channelings and contact with the spirit of legendary musician Jerry Garcia after his untimely passing in 1995. She herself is the sister of also legendary musician Bob Weir, and together with Jerry Garcia and others performed in the band The Grateful Dead, which toured for 30 years, expanding consciousness, evolving humanity, and creating a new world. She is deeply involved in conservation works and has directed and worked with several groups over the years. Her interests include caring for horses, art, travel, gardening, and sitting in the silence. Whether she's involved in business, education, or the joy of life, Wendy incorporates her spiritual activities into all that she does. And she's here with us. And I'm so excited. Hello, Wendy. Hi, Jake. How are you doing? Oh, man. I'm so excited to talk to you. We are so similar frequency people. Obviously, we both love The Grateful Dead. Anybody that knows me knows that I deeply love The Grateful Dead. I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan. And I'm also into spiritual, esoteric, mystical things. And so are you. So we're so similar. I'm so glad that we're connecting. It was um, totally meant to be because <laughs> you were here in my area and you got the contact and you somehow found my phone number and called and it's fabulous. It's cosmic. I'll tell people the story. I was visiting some friends in Grass Valley and I have some strange history there, but I was visiting some friends who knew about my podcast and suggested that I find Wendy Weir who lived locally. Now I had thought of Wendy 
over the years since I've started this podcast because of her book. I was familiar with her book. I felt like she would be a great guest, but she was difficult to find. But once I had that incredible clue from my dear friends, it was only a matter of minutes before we connected as it was meant to be. Yeah. So let's talk about your life, Wendy. This is so powerful. I want to talk about your spiritual life. So you have these abilities as a channeler, as an intuitive, and you first became aware of them when you were 21. Let's talk about that. What were some of the catalysts for that? Well, I'll preface, you know, uh, you hear a lot of channelers that they grew up knowing they were channeling and having these experiences from a young age. And it's like none of that. You know, I was very conservative. We grew up in a fabulous, you know, environment, home environment, well-to-do family, very social in San Francisco. This includes Bob, you know, and um never had a reason to even think about channeling at all. It was, I mean, this is back, you know, I'm 72, almost 73 now. So we're going back into the 50s, 60s, 70s and stuff. So the early years. And it wasn't until our parents died. I was 21 at the time and they passed away separately three weeks apart. And my mother was the first one to pass away, um, both from different kinds of cancer. Um, And it wasn't until my mother passed away and I went to pick up her possessions, you know, very few possessions at the hospital that I had my really my first psychic experience. And I'm going, what is going on here? And what I saw, the lady was handing me her wedding ring, her wedding band that she had had on at death. And I saw my mother's finger in it, her wedding finger. And I'm going, what does this mean? And so the lady who happened to be a friend of my mother's was talking to me and I'm trying to listen to her and be nice. And I'm trying to figure out what is this finger doing in this wedding band? And I finally said, okay, I get it, mom. You want to have the ring buried with you. And then everything, you know, sort of relaxed at that point. And I took the possession, said goodbye and drove to the mortuary. So I walk in and the mortician's there and uh, my parents were cremated. So you know, my mother had been cremated at that point in, in the urn. And I said, can you put this ring in the urn for me? And he said, no. And I'm going, well, my mother wants it. And it's, he looks at me like, hey, lady, your mother's dead. You know, he didn't <laughs> say that. It was really nice. And uh, he says, well, I can't do that. We've already sealed it. And I said, well, I don't care. My mother really wants to have the ring with her. And this is what I'm seeing. And it's not going away. So could you please open the urn, put the ring in there, and then she'll be at peace and I'll be at peace. And so he finally gives in, takes the ring and, you know, leaves and I leave. And I can only assume that he actually did open up the urn and put it in there because my mother was at peace after that. Wow. So that was huge for you. Yeah. So that was the first one. Then three weeks later, after our father has passed away, you know, the whole time, you know, so I have two older brothers. We, our oldest brother is John. Bob is the middle one and I'm the youngest. And so we're dealing with our parents passing. And after my father's memorial service, Bob and I are talking and it's outside after the service. And this is in Menlo Park. And I'm looking around everybody has 
sort of left. We have this big open space around us at the church. Just Bob and myself. I'm going, wow, this is really strange. And all of a sudden, this feeling, this incredibly divine feeling of light and love comes from both of our parents who are together at last. And I, to this day, I have never experienced that divine love like that. And they basically said, we're together and we're so happy, you know, being together. We're so sorry we had to leave you at such a young age. And, um, but just know that we're always with you and love you. So I didn't say anything to Bob at the time. And then about five years later, we're having dinner, also a very rare occasion where it's just the two of us. And I'm going, you know, Bob, this is what I experienced at the memorial service. But did, did you feel anything? And he says, yeah, I felt the same thing. You know, so it was like, wow, amazing. Um, so after that, I started taking classes because I needed to know what to do with this ability. And I've been learning and practicing ever since. So you started taking classes after that experience that motivated yeah. you. Wow. So, so what, I needed to know how, what was going on. Well, what were some of the classes that you took? Well, strictly with a psychic on how to, uh, how to channel. You know, um, I read a book by Sonia uh, Roman, you know, um, about channeling. It was great. And I tried, you know, I, I'm, I follow step by step. I'm one of these people who reads instructions. <laughs> so I follow everything step by step. Step one, you do this. Step two, you do that. Step three, you do that. You know, so I was going down the whole list. I'm going, okay, I'm, you know, feet are grounded and quiet and, not, you know, in mind. And then, you know, at a certain point, you know, step number six, she says, envision yourself in an elevator on the ground floor and you walk in and the doors close. And then, you know, you start going up. And when you get to a floor where you feel comfortable, you know, the doors open. And, you know, so that was great. Well, I forgot one of the steps. And so I get in the elevator. This is all in my vision. And I'm going up and the elevator stops and the doors open. And these cutthroat pirates, you know, with these sabers and pistols and everything are barging into the elevator. And I'm going, oh, my God, what is going on here? And so, you know, I sort of shoved them out and closed the elevator doors, go back down, read what she had written. And the step I had missed was make sure that you, you know, hold the intent of a high vibration you know, so that you don't allow the lower frequencies in. And I had forgotten that I was just going up in the elevator and opening up the door. And so it's very important to do things safely and to work with professionals when you're starting to channel, because there is a lot of darkness out there that is just waiting for, you know, to take advantage of you. Yes, there are these beings that exist on these lower astral planes that if you allow your frequency to resonate with those planes via negative emotions or not protecting yourself, like you said, then they can interact with you and they will interact with you. It's really a powerful yeah. situation. But then your training continued. I mean, when did you feel like things were picking up in your life? Was was that around 36, 35 or were, were you like really excelling as time progressed after once you started taking the classes? Um, I, so I took classes. I got familiar with it and I practiced that you know, my background and my work is in finance. 
So, you know, the two don't quite go well together. I'm dealing with, you know, Fortune 500 people and <laughs> I'm channeling information. I don't think so. So the channeling part was very personal. And then, you know, and I focused on the banking and the career. Uh, and then around, oh, early 90s, you know, very early 90s, I just got really frustrated with the banking side because I wasn't using my creativity. And, you know, I'm sort of looking at Bob and, you know, how he's used his creativity throughout his life and followed his passion throughout his life, you know, to be, you know, first and foremost, an inner success and also a success out in the world. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to use my creativity. Let's try that one. And my creativity is with artwork. And so as I started, I, I said, okay, Bob you know, this is what I'd like to do. You know, we're both environmentalists. Can we do a children's book on the rainforest where we write the story together? I'll do the illustrations and you can do the voiceover and the music. And he said, sure. So that started the first children's book called Panther Dream. And it was a three-year journey from beginning to publication. And uh, it was an incredible healing journey for Bob in many ways, because he was dyslexic. And as a child growing up in the you know, 50s and 60s, he was considered to be dumb. Now, Bob is a genius. Right. And but because of the dyslexia, they told my parents that he was dumb because he couldn't read. And so Bob is having to deal with this information at a very young age you know, and starts to rebel a bit. And, you know, he ends up going to different schools because he's totally bored with the education programs because, you know, he's too smart for them and, and they don't know how to work with him. So in doing the first children's book, he was actually able to create an educational platform for young children that addressed all of their learning abilities. So it didn't matter you know, if they were dyslexic or if they were deaf, you know, or, or if they were blind, you know, it didn't matter at all because we had both the written word and the illustrations and the spoken word and the music. So it, it, it covered everything and he felt very fulfilled by it. He was finally healing that wound within him that he had had as a child with dyslexia. So this creative outlet this book was also a start of independence for you you're moving away from the banking situation your professional career you're writing a book with your brother a children's book but then you were also still communicating with spirit right oh right yeah i mean that goes you know um throughout but it wasn't anything that was really momentous until after jerry's well momentous. Um, uh, probably the next momentous experience was when Bob and I went to Australia and stayed in an Aboriginal community. Um, that was really incredible. Yes. The dream time experience. I do remember that yes. from the book, but I just have to ask you before we go into that yeah. during that time though, because at this point you're writing this book, it's around 95, 94, 95. Um, there have been times in the past though, that you mentioned in your book where Bob would ask you to check in on the spirits oh. of deceased people. Right? right. This is something right. if that was a part of your life. I mean, it, it was it was yeah. there. So you were kind of like the sounding board in a way. Yeah. I'm so when people in the band would 
passed away. You know, the keyboard was sort of the death seat there. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but we know the story no, I, for sure. It's a it, wild it, it experience. Was. Yeah, it was. So like, you know, when, when Brent Midland, you know, passed away, Bob would say, Hey, can you check in on him for me? Or, you know, um, when, you know, Keith Godshow passed away, Hey, can you check in on him for me? So I would sit down and meditate and, you know, write down what was going on and get information from them and give it to him. And he'd say, thanks. And I, you know, I didn't think much about it. It's just what I did. So when Jerry passed away, that's, you know, Bob did the same thing. He was back East, you know, finishing up his last rat dog show. And he called and he said, Hey, can you check in on Jerry for me? So I said, sure, no problem. Well, that's what started the whole book and the whole journey. So, Yes. That started you having this interaction with what you describe as Jerry's oversoul because there's, we're existing in multiple dimensions as spirits, the physical dimension, astral planes. We all have an oversoul, this even higher plane of existence where we're existing. So you had to reach his oversoul to talk to him about what happened. This is so interesting because it's not something that you necessarily were looking for. You were just kind of checking in on the spirit after this monumentous human had left this dimension. Yeah, I thought, in all honesty, we'd just have another conversation like with the other guys. And it wasn't that way. It was, you know, I sit down and go into meditation and say, hey, Jerry, are you there? And it's like, no answer. And then I start going, well, that's a little strange. I start looking for him and I keep asking and sort of probing, you know, with my my energy fields. And um, I hear from a very, very, very long distance away. I don't want to speak with you. It's like, really? I said, but, um, you know, Bob's ass, he wants to know how you're doing. And, you know, silence. And then I start getting worried because it's like he, Jerry's just gone. And, you know, it's just like he died and he's gone. There's nothing. It's like, it doesn't work that way down here if you're doing it right. You know, you sort of stick around for a few days and then you, you know, say goodbye to your loved ones and, you know, sort of review your life's purpose and you just don't go away and disappear. And um, so I started looking for him and found him in, in a very distant area location. And he was like, I am out of here. I am so glad not to be in pain in my body, not to be dealing with all those lower frequencies of earth you know, I am free. And it's like, but you aren't done yet. You know, you still have your mission to fulfill. Clearly. And so I, I, I tried different levels to get in and penetrate them. And it was like, no, I, I, I'm not coming back. I'm not doing this again. I am done. So now I'm getting really worried. And so I telepathically, because Bob and I can communicate telepathically, so telepathically, I reach out to Bob and I said, hey, I need your help. If anyone is connected to Jerry, it's you, you know, on a, on a deep spiritual brotherly level. And so telepathically, Bob joins force with me. And, we, you know, once again, we call out to Jerry. And there is a whole process that we end up going through by really going up on a higher frequency, getting above the barrier that jerry energetically had set and reaching the oversoul you know jerry's higher self 
to coordinate with that and then sort of come back down through the higher self and reach Jerry. And Jerry finally realized what he was doing. He stopped for a moment, listened to his higher self, realized that he really did need to come back and that he had this incredible mission to fulfill here on earth, um, which he has been doing. So it still continues. Oh, it it totally continues. In that regard, Jerry, I mean, Jerry's amazing in many regards, but his commitment to help people, to inspire people and to be there when they think of him or call out to him, you know, with support and love and encouragement, you know, and as I said, inspiration is amazing. And, you know, anybody can call out to him and he is there for them. It's very powerful. And the thing is, is that you said that you're 72, Mm -hmm. I'm 43, um, and Jerry was only 53 when he died. That's the thing that always gets me. You know, people see this caricature of this older person. It was because he was physically unhealthy that his body was more aged than his actual years on earth. Because if you think about a 53-year-old, my goodness, that's so young. Like it, mm-hmm. it seems like he he should have had a whole other twenty or twenty five years before leaving. Yeah, I mean, look at you know you still have Bob and Mickey and Billy and Phil. You know they're still going strong. Yes, you know, I know. After all of these years, and Jerry could have been right there with him, but for some reason he had to leave and it seemed to be right before the internet era, like something was shifting. There was such a big, massive shift in humanity and his leaving was a part of that. Um, Very possible. Yeah. I mean, there were certainly a lot of reasons why it was time for him to leave. And I feel that he had um, stayed on earth longer than he had necessarily wanted to. So, um, but for him to come back, he was able to accomplish a lot more in spirit than he could have in that, in the damaged body that he had. It's a very powerful experience. The Grateful Dead is and was then, and as a spiritual person, as an intuitive, what was it like being at those shows when so many people were under the influence of really powerful psychedelics or other plant medicines. And they were just really opened up, but you're this really intuitive person and you had kind of free reign of the whole place. You can go backstage, you can go front stage, you can kind of go wherever you wanted to go. Like, what was that like? Like what, what kind of energies were you picking up? How did you perceive that? Well, the energies out with the fans were overwhelming. You know, and I'm not big on being surrounded by large crowds of people. Okay. So I don't, I enjoy walking through, you know, the crowds and the the audience there at the venues. Um, I don't enjoy hanging out in them for periods of time. So I would go out and, you know, see what was going on and meet people and talk and wander around a bit um, and then go backstage. And so, you know, it it all depends upon, you know, whether there's a seating section backstage or whether there's a seating section, you know, off on the side somewhere or whatever. But what really interests me was not just the music, but seeing the interaction of the band with each other and the interaction of the band with the audience. And there has been this incredible evolution of that relationship 
you know, over the years and with Dead and Company. So it started with Grateful Dead. And with the increase in consciousness that we now have and the higher frequencies here on earth and, you know, the greater openness of people's minds here on earth, that has evolved too. So what it used to be in, in Jerry's day and the Grateful Dead days, you know, the, um, I'll stop for a second and say I've also worked for many, many years with two Weichel medicine people. Yes. And I took Hai Chi Manrachuri to one of the Grateful Dead shows with Jerry and everything, uh, like around 1993, before he passed away. And they commented from their vision what they were seeing. And so Haichima said that she would see the band on stage in Phoenix. And they, you know, everyone, when you go in there, you, she referred to it as social masks. So you have your persona, you know, when you're out in public and doing things. And then you get in to the show and the music starts and the band members start getting into the music and lowering the social mask that they have and really start, you know, putting out that energy and, and frequency, not just as individual musicians, but also as a group. And so that goes out to the audience. The audience responds, lowers their social masks and they start relating with the band, both individually and as a group. So you have this, it's sort of like an exchange, you know, of energy feeding and building on one another. And then, you know, I would look up and in another dimension, you have an occasional, you know, extraterrestrial, you know, ship hanging out going, wow, this Thank is you. really weird. I <laughs> I, What's going on down we there? Have to, we have to talk about this. This is so huge. You just brought this up because this is something that I've talked about quite a bit with people because I've also, as a spiritual person, perceived that. And with my own children, with my partner, like we've seen several UFOs at shows, at concerts where people get together in this way and they ingest psychedelics. And this is huge because when people do that, and you're saying for you, when you were walking out in the crowd, it was like a garden hose of psychic energy. Like just like, oh, like just so much that you had to like kind of go backstage. But that energy attracts these astral beings, angels, aliens. How could they not notice this bright, glowing, massive yeah. amount of energy happening? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so in the, you know, I say the early days, like the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, our frequency on Earth was a lot lower than it is now. And so the beings that were attracted were trying to figure out what's going on here. You know, they, they came out of curiosity. And now, as the frequency on Earth has increased and the openness of humanity has increased as we, you know, are moving into our ascension times. It is absolutely, you know, amazing if you go to a dead and company show now and, and, you know, the original members being, you know, Bob and Billy and Mickey, and then you have John Meyer and, and O'Teal and Jeff Clementi, you know, they are all in this era, you know, they are all working at a much higher level of consciousness. And so they're performing. I mean, if you go to the shows, it's a lot cleaner, a lot higher vibes. You know, part of it is, you know, Bob and Billy and Mickey have gotten older and their bodies can't handle all the drugs and all of the psychedelics they did when they were younger. And so they've cleaned up a lot more. You know, they have a rule backstage. You know, there's no drinking. You know, there's no no drugs, no nothing. 
you know, um, very small substances within, you know, very managed. Yeah. <laughs> natural. I should say natural substances. So people can smoke yeah. a joint or something backstage, but not like in the eighties where it was like total debauchery. Right. right. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I know that's well said. It's true. Um, <laughs> so, so the, the band now is at a much higher frequency that helps the audience reach a higher frequency. Members of the audience are now at a higher frequency within themselves. So they are putting out this incredibly high vibration. And if you look up, there are not just a few of these extraterrestrials. There are like tens of thousands, just oh like off the horizon. Oh my God. Coming. And they aren't just looking at them like, who are those strange people down there? They are actually participating. The, high, the frequency is high enough now that they can participate. So instead of having the dead and the audience, you now have like a clover leaf where you have the dead, the audience, and it goes up to the extraterrestrials. And they are able to send their energy back down and it all works together and all goes out further to the universes. So it's, it's wow. incredible. It's yeah. absolutely incredible. That's why I deeply applaud Dead and Company and your brother and his friends and John Mayer and O'Teal. And they're just continuing something so positive. And it's so incredible to think that it's almost 30 years since Jerry passed, right? Uh -huh. And the Grateful Dead went for 30 years. Well, it's been almost another 30 years. And there they are going strong. Now, I know Bill has had some health issues recently. I know that it hasn't been without its, uh, you know, setbacks. But what they're doing in 2022, the fact that it's happening in 2022 is incredible. It's just incredible. Yeah. And John Mayer, my God, I've watched, I've probably watched about 80 Dead and Company shows uh, just streaming at home. And I've watched mm -hmm. his progression since 2015 to now. And he's just grown so much because I've often said we're helping John Mayer evolve because it's funny because he came into this role, these massive shoes to step into the role of Jerry Garcia, late lead guitar of the Grateful Dead with a naivety. Like he didn't actually really know what he was doing. And that's the best way because so many other guitarists would feel that weight that, that, oh my God, I'm, I'm playing Jerry's parts, but he kind of came at it with a naivety that allowed it to express itself in such an incredible way. And his musicianship is so professional. It's so next level and where he's at now, I think he, he really gets it. He gets it on every level. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it is amazing how it has all evolved. And that's why, you know, there are no other groups like the dead. That's there absolutely never will true. be another group like the dead. There never were before because they have come down. I, I joke and say, yeah, you know, we all came down on the same bus. And, you know, it's like they came down with a specific purpose and which they have fulfilled incredibly, you know, despite all odds, you know, it's amazing. They all survived the, you know, the sixties and seventies and the eighties you know, and the nineties. <laughs> well, <they> <laughs> you know? And so, um, you know, the gift that they are giving to humanity, even though there are millions of people out there that don't even know them or that don't like them or whatever, that's totally irrelevant. 
you know, they are still raising the frequency of earth and humanity. They're helping to. Yes. When you're interacting with that many millions of people who love you, that energetic, that energy goes to the collective human consciousness. You're hitting people from a million different points. And that music, the music of the Grateful Dead, you're right. They're is no one that can create that type of music. It was only because of when they were born, the spirits that they were as they incarnated and their influences and everything that happened during the world at that time. Like you couldn't replicate exactly the formula that created the Grateful Dead. No. Mm -mm. And Really, a lot of it has to do with the explorations that they all did spiritually and with psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Every single one of the members of the Grateful Dead were deeply spiritual, deeply psychedelic, deeply intelligent people. And for people like that to come together to create this music that truly opened portals into another dimension, mm -hmm. it would be very hard to do today. You, you just couldn't do it. And that's why at these dead end company shows that even though it's not everybody that was originally there, there's enough with Bob and Billy and Mickey to bring that vibe back and, and to retain that, that original vibe from the sixties that they created. Well, and, and to take it one step higher because they're cleaner now than they yes. were then. Yes. And it feels that way when you go to dead and company shows, you, you can feel how it's a lighter energy and yet where the music takes you is very similar. Now you can't replicate Jerry Garcia, of course, like he was one, one in a probably <laughs> who knows if they'll, he'll ever incarnate in, as a musician again, but um, they still take you to some of those same places, mm -hmm. which is huge in this world. I mean, as you said, We've changed as humanity. The vibration back in the 60s, 70s, 80s were lower. It's higher now. So when your book came out, do you feel like I do, that it was ahead of its time, that the reception of it was for the very enlightened people, but for most of the people, the information just went below radar, like they just didn't get it? How do you feel your book was received when it came out? So it was uh, an educational experience for me. So, you know, I, I went through this whole internal process of, do I even release this information? And I talked to Bob about it and he said, you know, this is your experience. You need to do what you feel is right. You know, and so once again, being the responsible and conscious when I'm going, people are gonna think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> How do I explain this to folks? You know, maybe they don't understand what's going on here. You know, all of these things. And here's Jerry, you know, in the spirit going, release the material. This is important. People have to, you know, have this available to them. And I realized, okay, I all of my little issues are me personally, and I need to deal with my issues and move to another level and realize that all is serving a higher purpose. And not to care what people say. It's not about them. And so I got it, you know, the book done. I submitted it to um, our publisher, Sarah Lazen in New York. And, you know, uh, at that time, the other ones were playing and they were going to be heading back to New York and in concert, you know, like in four weeks. And I said, Sarah, you know, once, you know, Bob's back, there would be a great time. Attention's being drawn to the band. You know, it'd be a great time, you know, to start shopping it now. 
And she says, yes, yes, yes. And I mean, she'd done a lot. She had worked in, with uh, one of the editors. She was one of the editors for Rolling Stone for many years. So she's very familiar with the rock and roll world and she's familiar with the psychic world. And she says, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll get to it. I'm, I'm working on a few projects. Yes, I agree. Nothing happened. I'd follow up Sarah. Hey, we're three weeks away. We're two weeks away. Sarah, you know, it's like they're going to be there in four days. You got to do something. And I get a call from her the next morning. And she says, Wendy, you aren't going to believe this. And I'm going, uh-oh. She said, Jerry came to me in a dream last night. And he said, Sarah, get off your ass and get the book published. Whoa! Whoa. And that yeah, that freaked her out so much that she started making a few calls and got the deal closed within three days. She said, "This is the fastest I have ever closed a book dealer with a publisher." Oh it took, my god! It took three days, but it took Jerry coming to her in her dream, telling her to get moving. That's mind blowing because if you read the yeah. book, which I did last night, I, I actually started in the morning and I just, I couldn't put it down. It was like page after page after page. And I was just totally absorbed in it. And that actually is not in the book. That's that, that what you just told that's whoa. Well, I, you know, I don't, I mean, it, it's taken a while for me to tell that somewhat because Sarah does have her career and you know, but this also is going back many years at this point. I so. mean, the world's changed. The world's yeah. receptive to this information. Like I said, your book was way yeah. ahead of its time. I mean, of course, it just had to come out when it came out. That's when the information was there. The publishing, everything happened as it happened when it happened. But it seems to be very relevant now. Yeah. So what was interesting, though, so we do get the book published and I, um, set up, I probably do, um, this is, you know, the publisher was Harmony. And so they set up like 30 radio interviews for me to do around the country. And I could do most of them from home. Some I had to go, you know, on location. And it all basically starts out with, you know, you know, the interviewers are like really doubting this whole thing. Very conventional. Yeah. And they expect me to be this really weird person or freak. I, I have no idea what they think, but it's like they look at me like I am now. Right. Sure. I, I am very corporate in many ways and I speak very normally and intelligently. And by the time they get through with the interview, they all say they go, wow, you're a normal person. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. What do you expect? You know? Well, I think because you're Bob Weir's sister, they probably thought you were half alien. And then from the psychedelic scene, perhaps they thought you would be covered in tie-dye. Oh, probably. I know, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So the, so the book comes out and it's on Amazon. And, you know, I'm sort of going on with my, my life and my work and all of that. And one of my friends calls me and said, have you been on Amazon lately? Now, this is before social media. And it's like, no, why would I go look at my book on Amazon? And they said, well, people have been writing comments about it. And I'm going, okay. And they said, they aren't very nice. And I said, really? Never occurred to me someone wouldn't be nice to me, right? So I go on Amazon and I start reading these comments. And it's like, oh my goodness, they're scathing. And 
I'm going through every one and there's not a nice comment in there about it. And they're, I'm going, they're essentially trolling your book. Yeah. And so, you know, this is my first, you know, experience, like in the power of, you know, social media. And so I'm going, oh, I got to call my friends and have them send in positive reviews. And so all my friends sent in these wonderful positive reviews and it, you know, took the ratings up to, you know, really high. So that, that was wonderful. But what I also learned, I received box loads of letters. You know, I have my email in the back of the book and people emailed me and they wrote me, you know, um, I had put my a PO box in Sausalito at the time and I had, you know, um, boxes of all of these incredible communications from people saying, oh, thank you so much. You know, we've had experiences at the shows, but we've had no one to share them with. And we were concerned our family would think we were nuts. And, you know, here we can talk about it now and you've made it okay. And so all the people who loved what I did and were, were greatly appreciative wrote to me personally. All of the people who hated <laughs> by what I did, put it on Amazon as a review. They didn't want to interact with me personally. They wanted the distance. Right. And it, yeah. So, I mean, it was fascinating. You know, humans amaze me constantly, but yeah. So. so the reception was good. They just weren't yeah. really, people weren't really putting that information out there publicly. They were contacting you directly. Cause like you said, your right. email was in the back page, the final page of the book. And you, you actually asked people specifically to reach out to you and share their stories with you. Yeah. Are, are they still doing that? Are they still uh, emailing you occasionally? Yeah, they're still emailing me. Oh, that's so awesome. Because unfortunately yeah. this book that we're talking about in the spirit, which is out there, you can find it on eBay and everything. It's unfortunately currently out of print. Right. It's, it's honestly staying out of print. I mean, the rights have reverted back to me and I'm having uh, an ebook release of it. I, I'm sort of in the middle of the process. I've had it created. I'm just need to put it up on Amazon. And, um, you know, but to go through that whole publishing process again, even for self-publishing, you know, it, it's a lot. So I would, I think I'll focus on an ebook at this point. <laughs> but in your book, I don't want to give away too much because it's such a good read and I urge everyone out there to just find a copy or eventually the ebook will show itself, but find a copy on eBay. They're out there. There's used copies on Amazon. Maybe even check your local bookstore. There might be a used copy. So I don't want to give away too much, but after talking with Jerry's oversoul and everything that happened from the beginning to the conclusion, you still remained in contact with his spirit. And now it's 20 years later, 20, I think we we're saying 24 years later, uh, prior to our interview, what new information have you gleaned from Jerry being free now and his oversoul? What does he think about this modern world? Has he had thoughts about dead and company and the various projects? What other things has he communicated since the publication? He's actually, he's at a higher frequency now. So he doesn't get into, I mean, if someone actually asked me, you know, what does Jerry think of, you know, John Mayer? It's like, uh, he doesn't think anything of it. He's Jerry is at a much higher frequency where there's no good or bad, you know, or judgment, you know, it's just the oneness. Yes. And so um, he's more, he, you know, his focus once again is being there for everyone who calls to them with their heart and with their thoughts. 
And people very, you know, very often will say, hey, can you check in on Jerry? Can you say hi to him for me? And it's like, no, you say hi to him. You know, he's there <laughs> for you. I don't need to do that. Right. Well, how do I do that? I said, well, just, you know, send him your love. He gets it. He'll send it back. And so where we're at now is actually in empowering people to communicate with him directly. Wow. Because that's what it's about. And he will communicate with them however he wants to. When I talk to him, I'm usually checking in. Like I checked in, you know, I said, hey, Jerry, should I do this interview with Jake? He says, yeah, do your interview. I said, you know. Hey, Jerry, I love you, buddy. <laughs> you know, so I check in with him on stuff like that to get a sense of, is it in the higher good and in the best interest of everybody? And he says, yes. And, you know, he surprises me sometime, you know, like we were talking about um, Elena Danan and her book, you know, We Will Never Let You Down. Um, and I was, you know, I check in with Jerry and it's like, yeah, isn't it great? These are wonderful people. So when I say wonderful people, these are the extraterrestrials that she communicates with and works with. Yeah, they're great, you know. And so it's like he has a personal because of the commonality of helping earth to, you know, and humanity to ascend, he has a relationship with them also, you know, on his yes. own level, in his own planes, you know, his own sphere. And so it's like part of the reason the book, you know, my partner, Sebastian, you know, ended up ordering the book and left it out for me. And I walked by it for like five days straight and, you know, finally picked it up because it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. I got to read the book. And I'm so glad I did because I've learned so much from it. Yes, we love but Elena Danan. She's an incredible guest. Yeah. She's been a guest on our show. Yeah, she is, you know, truly awesome. And so I would never have, you know, without Jerry's nudging and communication, you know, and the synchronicity of events, I would never have picked up the book. But I certainly, I understand now I needed that for my own, you know, um, raising my own frequency and, and further spiritual development. And Jerry's already working with these guys. He's up there, you know, helping them with, you know, as I said, with earth and humanity to raise their frequency and for ascension. Well, I think that that was the whole purpose of the Grateful Dead because it did seem like a traveling mystery school. Now we think of the mystery yeah. schools of antiquity, but for me personally, I could say it was a traveling mystery school because you would have these powerful psychedelic experiences where you're focusing on a point, this shamanic point, and there were these shamans leading you musically, very traditionally and very similar to the shamans of old, but with better technology. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then you would meet people afterwards that would match your frequency. Perhaps you had a thought, a profound thought, and perhaps you would meet somebody who would expound on that and maybe suggest a book. So in that way, that, that further personal development, and for so many of us, I'm talking hundreds of thousands of people out there, maybe even millions, it was like a mystery school, a Grateful Dead mystery school where you could get in touch with higher information. And have the commonality of others doing the same thing. The community. Yes, that yeah, is such mm -hmm. an integral part of the experience because when you have other humans that you're with that unconditionally love you because you're in that experience with them and you know, yes, those substances that we sometimes take ritualistically at these shows do encourage that love vibration, but it's not 
just the reason why we're feeling that way. So you have this unconditional love and then you get to bounce your ideas, your experiences. Oh my God. And then they share their experiences and that just builds you so much spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to share a, a cute story with you. Oh, of course, that, please. <laughs> that you will appreciate. Um, one of my girlfriends in New Mexico was telling this to me the last year. And she hadn't shared it with me before. And she says, Wendy, I, I finally want to tell you about one of my experiences. And I'm going, you know, okay, Clara. And she said, well, I was on the plane. She was living in the Bay Area at the time. She was on a plane down to the shows in, you know, L.A. And she sat next to this gentleman and uh, who you know, was reading a book or writing or doing something. And she noticed that it had to do with Bigfoot, with Sasquatch. And so she started up, she's a filmmaker and she started up a conversation with him. And he says, yeah, I know I'm going down to the dead shows. She says, oh, really? And he says, yes, you know, I'm, I'm bringing two, you know, Sasquatch with me. And she looks at him and she says, really? And he says, yeah, they wanted to come down and have an experience of being, you know, with the band and the dead and everything, go to one of the shows. So he says, yeah, they're, they, you know, they're with me. They're in a different dimension, but they're coming down with me. So she said, okay, well, at the show that night, she's looking at the stage and, you know, there's the band playing and she shifts her vision and she sees these two Bigfoot, big feet, Bigfoot, Sasquatch <laughs> dancing behind the band <laughs> at, the wow. time at the, at, at the show, you know, and it was very real. Yeah. Well, there's something about that energy that it just attracts these higher frequency beings, these beings that are existing in these other dimensions. Like we said, angels, aliens, people talk about how Sasquatch is elusive because it can teleport in and out of dimensions. It's a higher frequency organism. So of course they would love this high frequency music. It really is. There really is nothing else like it. Um, yeah. So, okay. So Jerry though, people have different theories about him spiritually. Okay. So I've heard John Barlow in an interview talk about how he felt like he was this incarnated, like Hindu deity that somehow he was like, this being that uh, they had a Hindu word for him. It's not, it's escaping me right now, but there's a Hindu word for this type of spiritual being that incarnates into this dimension and, and sheds uh, spiritual energy. But then I clearly see people treating Jerry like a guru time figure. You're thinking like Neem Karoli, like Ram Dass, like a true guru. You know, they put his pictures on their walls. I have his picture on my wall in my living room. And, uh, you know, and they truly venerate him in a guru type way. But when we talked primarily, you mentioned maybe Bodhisattva. So could it be a, a combination of all three? What do you think about that? Um, Jerry was just Jerry. You know, he, he has no claim to being a guru <laughs> You know, to being, I'll tell you an interesting story when we, you know, when I'm done with this too, but, you know, he, he, he didn't even want to be a leader of the band, but they had to have somebody, you know, the, the Grateful Dead is the only corporate structure I have ever, ever known where all of the board members had equal vote. So, you know, it wasn't like two thirds majority or anything. It had to be 100%. If one person said no to something, they would not do it. 
So it did not make for smooth functioning necessarily of, of the business part, but they believed in total equality with everyone around them. And, you know, so it's uh, where I was going to segue with the story is, you know, so Jerry, you know, is total equality. He is now, you know, it, once again, when you get the higher frequency, it's about oneness. There's no separation. We're all one. We're all equal. Okay. So that's where he is. That's where we all are or should be. Um, but after Jerry died, they had the ashes cremated. And, you know, I was, I went to the memorial service. I should say the funeral service. It wasn't memorial because they had open casket, slight segue on the open casket part. So, you know, Jerry was missing a finger on his hand. And so the mortician, you know, how they make you look really nice, you know, so he's, you know, it's open casket and he's lying in state and, you know, looking very nice and proper and everything. And at the beginning of the service, you know, as people are walking by, you know, the hands, the good hand or, or the whole hand is over the hand, you know, that is missing the finger. Okay. So he looks, totally, you know, like normal somewhere along the line, because I was sort of at the end with Merle Saunders, you know, going through somewhere during the service, someone reaches down and switches the hands so that the one with the missing finger is now on top, which was, you know, who Jerry was. Right. And, and so, yeah, so the rest of the people walking by saw that and it was just, it was wonderful. It was great. So he ended up, you know, they had the ashes cremated and um, Jerry, like a year or two before, had remarried Deborah Kuntz. And so she has the ashes. Bob gets this message from Jerry. So Jerry is, uh, I didn't go back and say this. After Jerry died, I did energy work on Bob and to bring Jerry into Bob's physical energy field, his physical body. Really? So for Jerry, yeah. Wow. So That's never been really Jerry, talked about. Mm, no, it's sort of like family stuff. But I did, you know, a few others were there. His wife was there. And um, so bringing Jerry's energy into Bob, because in order for Jerry to accomplish his mission and stay here as a spirit on earth or involved with humanity, he has to have a base here. You know, he can't just be out there and, you know, coming in all the time. He needs to have an energy base here on earth in order to be available to everyone and, to, you know, to be there for them. So Bob is that energy base for Jerry and Bob will talk about that, you know, and he has an interview where Jerry is a part of him and he truly is. So there's the Bob energy field and there's the Jerry energy field and, you know, they're combined, they're together. So Jerry is telling Bob, Hey, you know, I really want half of my ashes to go to the Ganges. And Bob is going, what? And Jerry is saying, yeah, you know, I really want half of my ashes to go and being thrown on the Ganges. Bob goes, okay. Bob's always, you know, the adventurer out there and explorer of multiple dimensions. He says, sure, no problem. So he talks to Deborah and explains it. And she says, okay. So they divide up Jerry's ashes and they take half of them with them. And she takes a film crew with her and they go to Varanasa to the Ganges and they have the ceremony. And they throw Jerry's ashes out on the Ganges. 
And um, I don't think Deborah's ever released the film footage of it, but she does have it. And after that event, people started saying that Jerry was Ganesha. You know, I can see from an overweight point of view the similarity between Ganesha, you know, the, <laughs> sure. you know, the, the elephant god kind of thing. You know, I'm yes, just yes. using very simplistic terms of description here. No offense meant, but, you know. So Jerry's a little overweight and Ganesha's this elephant, you know, so I can sort of see <laughs> sure. similarities, but, you know, people saying, oh, Jerry's, you know, in reincarnation of Ganesha. And it's like, you know, Jerry would never want that. I can certainly see Jerry as a guru, uh, you know, and, uh, a, you know, a Hindu mystic in other, a yogi and stuff in other lifetimes where the Ganges was very sacred to him. But I could never see Jerry Wayne claim that he was ever, you know, a Hindu deity. So it's interesting where people go with this guru sense because, you know, they they may have had other lifetimes with Jerry in that capacity. Absolutely. You know, Bob has some amazing past lifetimes, too, um, in that capacity of very enlightened teacher, you know, a, a Celtic, you know, uh, archdruid and stuff. And so I think there are people that are picking up on that energy from previous lifetimes mm. and, and projecting it onto the present one. But the Jerry who is here now is just like, he's one with everybody. There are no labels for him other than, you know, we call him Jerry as a way to identify his frequency, but you know, that's it. You know, he's, he's here with us. Well, they say that gurus point the way to God and clearly for so many of us, the Grateful Dead, their music and Jerry and Bob and, and everyone involved pointed the way to God for so many of us. Well, that depends on how you define God uh, to a higher consciousness. Yes, that, that great mystery, the, the higher, you know, yeah. whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. But once again, you know, each individual is the one who has to take the journey themselves. Right. You know, the dead, the dead can open the door, but you have to walk it. Yes. And this is where it's kind of a uh, self-initiated mystery school, because once you have the experiences, it's your choice. And this could even be happening now to young people that are going to dead and company shows. You have these experiences and it's your choice to pursue them further, to find the yeah. knowledge, to set up that attractive frequency, to pull those things in that you want to learn more about. You know, they say that when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. Well, the teacher is ethereal now. And so many ways it doesn't have to be a physical teacher. So it will arrive once you set up that attractive force. Yes. Yeah. So you channeled Jerry's spirit and you wrote about it in the book, in the spirit, but in Phil Lesh's book, he mentioned you and he talked about uh, his thoughts about your information and he brought up Brent Midland and he talked a little bit about how you mentioned to him that Brent had seen this door and through his various drug uses and he walked through it. And at that point he died. Um, is there anything that you can add to your experiences with Brent Midland spirit and also Keith Godchow? Because that's something that uh, isn't out there as well, that, that you communicated with both of those spirits once they've passed. Can you yeah. add some information about that? I can with um, Brent um, because Brent's father was uh, um 
hell, uh, yeah, okay, a hell and brimstone minister. Really? And, yeah. Okay. And, and so when I got in touch with Brent, you know, one is he had not planned his death was not anticipated. It was an act. It was truly an accident. You know, he had, he had cleaned up for a period of time and he, for whatever reasons, went back on what he was doing. And his body was so clean that he ended up what, what, what had normal like the year before, you know, overdosed him. And it was, uh, you know, so, yes, it was an accident in many ways, but what had driven Brent a lot throughout his life was this Helen Brimstone upbringing by his father. And so I'm seeing Brent and he's seeing, you know, I'm also seeing this Helen, you know, this fire hell and all of this other stuff. And I was like, Brent, where, you know, is this imagery coming from? And it was the belief system that he was raised with. And so I worked with Brent, you know, very briefly to say, this is not necessarily, you know, your reality. You can change it. You know, there's love and light. There's angels. You know, what do you want to create on the other side? You know, it's up to you, you know, what you want to see, feel after death. And so I was able to help him in that regard. I, I work with people, you know, it's called death walking. I, I work with people walking over to the other side. So I was working with them after the accident and after he had passed so that he didn't hold on to this, you know, Helen Brimstone vision of life and death. So it was really amazing because you would never, you know, expect that. And Bob talked about that to me afterwards. I said, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. And he says, yeah, that was his dad. So in key situation, you know, it was, it was just an accident. And once again, it was unintended. Um, Keith is a very peaceful person. And, you know, and it was a um, peaceful transition. Okay. So, but Brent was the really one that, you know, startled me with that, that imagery came from. Just based on your own intuition, do you feel like he's evolved past that, that he got that information and he transcended to higher frequencies? Um, he's reincarnated. So he's, you know, certainly working on it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't exit the way he exited without having to come back and work on things. Yeah, that was, he was, wasn't he like 36 or something? It was so young and he had young daughters at the time, which are now grown up, of course, because this was in the, I believe this was uh, what, 1990 that that happened. Um, but yeah, that's, he definitely exited very early and, and that seemed to take a toll on the band spiritually. Like they were on this really powerful place when he was alive and it took them a minute to get back to that. And that probably affected Jerry's uh, life and his substance abuse as well. Well, I mean, just imagine how hard it is to find a replacement. No, there is no replacement for Brent. Right. You know, so it, it takes a while, not only to, you know, deal with the death of, you know, a bandmate, you know, someone that you've worked with very, very closely, who's exceptionally talented, but then how do you replace him? Because the band's, you know, more than Brent, you know, it, it all preexisted Brent. So of course right. they're going to keep going, but how do you find someone to replace them? And so they finally settled on uh, Vince Wellnick and Vince pecked up to the best of his abilities, you know, 
the keyboard, Vince, after Jerry died, you know, several years after that, ended up committing suicide. Yes, in 2006. It's very sad that he did that. Did you ever check in with Vince's spirit? Did you ever, did you get to know him pretty well? Because he was only in the family for a very short time. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I enjoyed his wife, Lori, and stuff, but it was, um, you know, sometimes there are energies that, and you don't want to go there. So I didn't want to check in with, with Vince, the energies, the were very low. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, he did have mental illness issues. I mean, that's pretty public that he was dealing with that in his life. I mean, that usually when you go out in a violent suicide like that, like the way he did there, there's definitely some huge underlying mental health issues. Well, and a lot of negative entities involved in influencing you. Because you're kind of in that lower bandwidth and then you're doing these substances and they're, like you said, talking to you, they're influencing you. Yeah. That's incredible. God. Um, So now though, you wrote this book in 1999 and again, like we brought up earlier, it's 2022. And like you said, the vibrations changed the the book that you wrote then seems like a book that would be written now. So we, you talked about the ebook, but is it time to maybe write a second book or is there some way you feel like to get yourself out more publicly with this information? Because after I read that book, I felt like everybody that's interested in the grateful dead that connected with Jerry spirit should, should read that. What do you think about that? Well, I have, um, purposefully, not just me, but also spirit saying, stay under the radar. So all of these years I have, I mean, I've done a lot of things and led a very rewarding, productive life and stayed totally under the radar. And then probably, I'm just maybe a year ago, but more recently, like six months ago, you know, Jerry and the messages, you know, okay, it's time for you to start coming out and speaking again. And I'm going, really, I am comfortable. You know, I like being here, you know, on the farm with my horses and dogs and cat and five chickens and Sebastian, you know, it's like, and I'm still doing my finance work and I have, you know, entertainment projects and stuff. And so I'm really comfortable with that. And it's like, nah, you know, it's time for you to start coming out again. So part of me coming out is actually, you know, this interview with you. So, you know, whereas before a year ago, I would have said no, because the energies weren't right. Now the energies are in total support. It's like, um, you know, when I'm going back to Elena Dan again, you know, the mission for these, um, I use the word extraterrestrials, they're, they're like family for her, but is to help raise consciousness here on earth. And, you know, I'm being directed to do the same thing. You're being directed to do the same thing. And so there are groups of us that are being activated at this time when it is safe. I underline the word safe, you know, capital letters safe. And because the dark side is being removed from around the planet, it still exists on the planet and in the planet, you know, in Earth. But at least the dark side has been removed from around Earth and Earth is protected. So we can start doing this safely. which is key. You know, I, I would, would never want to jeopardize my life for any reason whatsoever. Right. Cause I still have this mission to, 
you know, light and love to do. So we'll see where it all goes. But getting back to the question, you know, I only I wrote in the spirit because Jerry was driving me absolutely, totally crazy. You know, I could not not write it down. He was once he got into this, it was like, you're doing this. You, you called me back. You're doing this. It's like, oh, geez. OK, so part of the needs to have that, you know, commitment of spirit behind me, that drive of spirit behind me to make these things happen. You know, it's sort of like uh, motivating. Yeah. So, but uh, so I'm starting to get that. I don't know where it's going to lead other than, you know, you know, talking with you and other people and seeing what doors open and where I am guided. Well, do you think that you could or should, or maybe I don't know how that works, be a sounding board, be a portal for this new generation where psychedelic drugs are pretty much illegal? I mean, where I live in Oregon, they're completely decriminalized. You can have 40 yeah. hints of acid, even unfortunately the negative drugs are decriminalized, but these powerful psychedelics and plant medicines are totally destigmatized in our culture. Now they're pretty much legal. They're on the pathway to be totally legal. Could you be an information point for that new generation that is experimenting with psychedelics, they're going to this ritualistic musical experience and they're having these experiences. And then you could be a leader, an elder, a teacher for this, this new generation in that way that are having these experiences at concerts and more at festivals and places like Burning Man and things like that. Well, I wouldn't be a good teacher in that regard because I tell them to get off the drugs and do it themselves. <laughs> But they are a catalyst for some people. Absolutely, they are, but they cannot be dependent on it. At some point, you have to go within and do the work within. Yes, I absolutely agree. So, so I'll give you in a you know an example, like in working with Hai Chi and Raturi. You know, Weichel people are known for their peyote, and it is very, very sacred. You know, peyote is called hikuri. It's the it's very sacred for them, but it is done in a sacred way and, you know, not recreational. So if it is done with the, the lead, the leadership and guidance of a true medicine man, not someone who just says, oh, I'm going to take you on a trip and we're going to go have ayahuasca every week for the next year. And, you know, life is wonderful. You, know, you don't do that. You work with someone who is truly you know, called and skilled as a medicine person, as a healer, you know, to work with these psychedelics, you know, their medicine plants. And in that regard, then you will have a spiritual experience, but it's not done for recreation. So I'm opposed to the recreational aspect, although I do totally recognize that it can have some benefit, but it doesn't, you know, stop you from having to go within and do the work inside. Well, because there is shielding that needs to take place. And like you said, yes, it is an inner process. Eventually you want to get there naturally, but for people that are essentially coming out of the matrix, like this false reality that like doesn't yeah. even exist. And their first interface point is a concert dead and company. And they're coming out of the matrix and they're going to dead and company and they take a psychedelic and they have a positive experience. I mean, and then they learn from that. Like that, that in right. itself is good, right? Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. But then they take that experience knowing that 
they can go there themselves. They don't need to have the drug to access that experience. Right. Now that they got the enlightenment, they got the information, they can get there internally. Yes. What are some of the ways that you feel like a person could get there internally? Um, Meditation. Truly, you know, there are many different ways to meditate, you know, contemplate, you know, attune to frequencies. Um, It's however they are guided, however their belief system, you know, supports them in the process. The end result, however you do it, though, is when it is an inner journey and the end result is the understanding that we are all one. Yes. So the path that one takes along that is up to them. You know, it's their growth, it's it's their karma, it's their mission, however they choose to experience it here on earth. But the end result is truly that we all come from source and we return to source. We're never separate from source. It's a part of who we are. So we are truly are one. You know, we do not have the division of religions and belief systems. We don't have wars. We don't have hate groups. You know, uh, we're all together in a state of oneness and balance. That's where we all, all of us go. And do you feel as a species, as humans, that we are moving towards that ascension, like moving towards that united earth where we have that level of existence, but in the material form? We are making a lot of progress. It's a lot better than it was, you know, 10 years ago with um, the opening of consciousness. And, you know, there are those of us like me that have been around for a long period of time and you still have younger people like you and younger people still that are just like mind-boggling evolved spiritual beings that have come down on earth at this time to help out. So it's in the ascension process, it's not, you know, that those of us who work in multiple dimensions and higher frequencies you know, need to ascend per se, it's those who are in the lower frequencies, the real, you know, caught up in this third dimensional reality that need to ascend to a higher frequency, to a higher vibration. Those are the ones that are the focus at this time for the ascension process. Oh, interesting. But you do believe though, or just your own opinion based on your own intuition that we are going there, like that we will have a ascended planet at some point where, Gaia, the spirit of our beautiful planet, will be existing in a higher frequency itself. Um, I choose to sort of reverse how you say that. Gaia is going regardless. Okay. We can choose to go along or not. <laughs> you know, we can respect her and and go along, or we can really harm her, damage her, you know, damage ourselves and you know, be left behind. But she is. This is her time. She is ascending. Nothing is going to hold her back. So it's up to humanity as to whether we choose to ascend to and put in the work. And if we don't, then we come back for another 25,000 years, 75,000 years on some other planet, third dimensional planet to have these lessons all over again. You know, personally, I would, you know, I'm sort of, I love earth, but I'm sort of done with this third dimensional reality stuff and really look forward to being back in a a fourth dimension, fifth dimension of light and love, which is what makes me happy. Yes. That it's a beautiful place. I mean, so many people talk about it. The Pleiadians, those uh, beings that Elena talks about and others seem to exist there. Like they're, they're kind of like the, the 
success point or the goalpost that we're moving towards as humans. Like we want to exist in that way. I feel like we can get there. I feel like humanity, if you look at humanity like a stock or something like the stock's going up, 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 we have dips, but man, collectively we're really improving. And once we unlock that universal love, that universal understanding, that's when we ascend and we make it to that next place. Yes. Yeah. There is hope. There is definitely. <laughs> so you've been around the music of the Grateful Dead for so long. I mean, since you were 14, you saw your brother playing and you were entranced. Do you think it's going to continue for hundreds of years? We passed the 50th anniversary. I hope to be around for the 100th anniversary. But do you think in 300 years, in 500 years, that people will still be playing the music of the Grateful Dead and creating these experiences, much like we play the music of Bach or Mozart or Beethoven today? Yeah, I honestly do. Isn't that yeah, an amazing because feeling? It's a, yeah, it's a music that is beyond time. You know, it's... Um, it's a frequency and an experience. And as you say, it opens portals and um, that is what it will give it. It's the continuity you know, and, and the length over eons. Your brother recently came out in an interview and said that he kind of had a vision. Maybe you heard about this. Uh, he had a vision just before a show where he was above the crowd, like his perception was above the crowd and he was outside of the time and space of where he was right then. And he looked down at the band, the Dead & Company band, and he saw John Mayer with gray hair, you know, 20 or 30 years older than he is now. He didn't see himself there. He saw O'Teal there, very older, and he saw the different drummers. And he felt that it was the mission of that music to just constantly continue mm -hmm. and do you do feel you feel that same way that it it's going to continually be opening up people because of that but is is it a powerful thing to think that you were around it for so long that it was part of your family bob's your brother like you got to be there and have complete free reign of the whole experience is is that something that's very important to you that that you realize was special in the human experience What's important to me is family, and I'm talking about immediate family. So my brothers are very important to me. You know, Bob's wife, Natasha, my sister-in-law is an absolute love. Uh, I, I can't express how close we are. My nieces, his daughters are amazing beings. That is what is important to me. The music, you know, it's a part of a larger family. And so that has its place too, but it's what, what my communication and my relationship is with Bob is, you know, as a sister and the importance of, you know, the immediate family. Interesting. But it's been amazing for you, I'm sure, to be around that. Like you said, as an energetic being, like we talked about earlier, oh, yeah. to be around those rituals, that experience that even people like Joseph Campbell went to a Grateful Dead show and had a mind-blowing experience. It, it, it definitely was something. I know, and I was there, and I, I drove him to the show, and I was with him backstage. Yeah, he Wait, what? drove him home. You did? So, you, you, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, can you, I, I, before yeah, we, we go. Up and he was saying it. 
Well, before we go, yeah. let's, let's no, talk I mean, about that story. That sounds amazing. Tell me the Joseph Campbell story. Um, it's just that, so he was in the Bay Area at one point and George Lucas, you know, of Star Wars fame and, and many other things had, um, you know, the dead, they had asked Joseph Campbell if he wanted to, Lucas wanted to show him Star Wars because so much of Star Wars was based on the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell wrote about. Right. And so he wanted to honor um, Joseph Campbell at a private showing at, of all of the Star Wars. The You know, at that point, there were three of them, you know, in the series. And so he, Joseph Campbell said, this is, you know, the, I've never seen any of these movies before. And so he went, you know, to a private showing and, uh, you know, at George Lucas's at Lucasfilm and watched it. And he really, really enjoyed it and had a great time. So the other thing on his agenda here was the dead had said, well, you got to come to a Grateful Dead show. And so they were performing over at Oakland Auditorium at that time, which is a smaller venue, um, you know, maybe 5,000 people okay. at that point in Oakland. And so everything was a lot more relaxed then. So it's like no big deal if I'm asked to pick him up and, you know, be with him backstage, you know, to make sure that everything's okay and nothing happens to him. You know, he doesn't get any acid or anything at that point. <laughs> And yeah, take him home safely because I'm the one. I don't do drugs. I never did. You know, I'm totally. So you were the chaperone. Yeah, basically. Okay. And so, you know, we picked him up and went there, and you know, they had a place for him backstage on the side and the couch. He could sit down, and um, he would just stand up. Joseph would look out over the crowds, just amazed at these people coming together. You know, and the interaction, you know, like I discussed between the band and the fans and, <clears throat> you know, once again, it's the hero's journey. Here's this band from home that actually has to leave to become famous and then come back again with this incredible gift. And so he's seen what he's written about both in the Star Wars movies and in the band. And uh, he must have thoroughly enjoyed the music. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's so incredible because he's such a great mind. I'm, he's uh, the Einstein of spirituality, you could say. But Wendy, we've had an incredible interview. We've talked about so much. We can talk about so much more, but I don't want to take up your whole day. But before we go, before we close here, is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with? Because the book is out there. But you're you're about to have a genesis to re reappear in, in in a public light. But before we go, is there anything you'd like to uh, leave our audience with? Um, it's basically the to go within, and you know that is where our healing comes from, and that is where our you know we can raise our frequencies to higher levels of perception. And really have that experience of oneness. So it's, you know, once again, so many people say, well, can you talk to Jerry for me? Well, no, you have that ability within. It's for people to own their own ability to communicate with spirit in higher dimensions safely. So do it yourself. Yeah. Do it yourself, you're saying. Get in touch with yourself, develop yourself, and go within and if you want to talk yeah. to Jerry, reach out. He's out there. He's he's outside of time and space. 
There's an omnipresence. Contact him if you want to. Yeah. He's there for you. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for being here. It's been absolutely amazing. People check out her book in the spirit. It's out there. It's going to reappear. I have a feeling, but there are used copies out there. Find that book. If you're a grateful dead fan and you've connected with this music, like I have, and there's children's books that are out there that she wrote with her brother, Panther dream and Baru Bay, Australia. They're still out there. You can find those as well. Wendy, please hold through the outro music. What an incredible episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. And everyone, we will see you next week. Midnight on Earth.